Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. If you are anything like me, and some of you are like, yeah, I'm not. But if you are anything like me, you, hate is a strong word, you dread unresolved conflict. Right? Like, just the thought of conflict lingering just brings anxiety. Um, now, let me say this. I can handle conflict. In fact, I think conflict is good. It's healthy. It's, it's when that conflict goes unaddressed for long periods of time. I, it's when it begins to linger. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are probably in it right now, right? And can I say this? Maybe you are the one who is in jail because it is lingering and somebody is not allowing it to be resolved. Or maybe you're in this room and you're the one that's holding someone hostage. Either way, conflict that goes unresolved ultimately can be seen and felt, right? Unresolved conflict that goes unresolved for a long period of time ultimately manifests itself out externally. It leaks out. And so if you really, really want to torment me, conflict with me and then let it go unresolved. In other words, ignore me. Avoid me. How about this? Give me the cold shoulder. Talk to everyone else but me. Are you with me? And if you have no choice, you know, flash me that cold, that cold smile, that fake smile. Give me that lifeless hug. Just enough to allow the unresolved conflict to be felt, heard, seen. Are you with me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You see, all unresolved conflict is felt and seen. And as a highly relational person, this is why I dread unresolved conflict. Because it creates tension, distance, and division. Now, I want you to know this is nowhere near a perfect illustration. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to multiply the angst that you feel in unresolved conflict. Multiply it exponentially, and then you'll begin to understand humanity's current relationship with God. You see, the Bible teaches that because of sin and wickedness, all of humanity is in a state of unresolved conflict with God. Not only is humanity in a state of unresolved conflict with God. But because of wickedness and sin, and as a consequence of wickedness and sin, the scripture also says that all of creation is in a state of unresolved conflict with God. And it has lingered for so long that the effects are undeniably felt and seen. Let me let the scripture speak for itself. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. And I don't know if we have these available, but I'm going to continue to read. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 reminds us that those who are in the flesh are separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, and without God in the world. Romans 8.12 reveals the extent. There we go. Romans 8.12 reveals the extent of the consequences of the unresolved conflict by telling us that even the creation was subjected to frustration 
not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it and hoped that creation itself would be what liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know, look at this part. We know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Let me try to put those three texts into perspective. The Bible describes humanity's current status with God as separated, alienated, and estranged. As a result, we are divided, hopeless, godless, while creation is frustrated in bondage to decay and groaning in labor pains. What humanity ultimately needs and what creation is desperately longing for is reconciliation with God. Are you with me? Because we are alienated from God, because we have our sin and wickedness has separated us from God, all of humanity, all of creation, all of the cosmos is experiencing pain, frustration, hopelessness, division, alienation. And the only way that that can be resolved is if we are reconciled with God. Amen? And so today, we are moving from the wonders of grace and faith and repentance to the beauty and the depth of reconciliation. And so today's essential is reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you work through me and in me to be able to articulate this understanding of reconciliation? And I pray you don't just work through me, but also you'd work in every heart and mind in this room so that the word of the Lord doesn't come back void this morning, but that it accomplishes in every heart and every mind in this room what you desire for it to accomplish. And so let my words be your words And may you receive all honor and glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to frame today's conversation. Well, it's probably not a conversation. I'm doing all the talking. So I want to frame today's discussion, today's message in two major categories, theological categories. Category one is alienation. And category two is reconciliation. And so we can't really understand the reconciling of God component until we understand what it means to be alienated. Amen? Amen, it's quiet. Alienation is just one of the many terms the Bible uses to describe the visible, felt reality of our unresolved conflict with God. And in order to understand how we got to this place of alienation with God, we actually have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to Genesis. And shout out to our origin series a year ago. I think it really plays itself really into a lot of our conversations when we try to understand the gospel. But if you go back to the beginning, remember in Genesis 1, we're told that in the beginning God created, right? He made the heavens, he made the earth, everything was created by God. Do you remember that? And remember, after God created everything, he'd always declare over everything he created was good. So we have to theologically understand that when God created everything, it was good. There was nothing wrong with it. But a couple of chapters later in Genesis 3, we messed it all up, right? Story of my life. God gives me something good and I take it into my own hands and mess it all up, right? And so what we see in Genesis 3 is that humanity messes it all up. Humanity sins and rebels against God's word. Humanity determines, self-determines that I know better. And we're told that as a result of that sin in Genesis 3, that as a consequence of that rebellion, creation suffered alienation. And, And you don't have to agree with this. But here's a really great understanding. The Bible gives us a logical reason for the existence of suffering and evil in this world. 
and, and, and why does evil exist? And why is there suffering? The reason why evil and suffering exist is because man has been alienated from God. And so what we learn is sin alienates. Sin alienates. What do I mean by that? I'm going to flash it for you here on the screen so you can just kind of sin alienates. What, what do I mean by that? Sin isolates. Sin cuts off. Sin shuts out. Are you with me? And we see it and we feel it and we sense the reality of alienation everywhere we go. Let me prove it to you. Number one, we are alienated from ourselves. Sin has alienated us from ourselves. What do I mean by that? Can you just consider your internal world right now? Consider what's going on internally right now. We deal with insecurity. Any insecure folks in here? We deal with inadequacy. We wrestle with thoughts of inferiority. We deal with feelings of un being unworthy. Is it just me? We get anxious. We get afraid. We feel guilt. We feel shame. Some of us are overthinkers. Where are the overthinkers at? You can't go to bed at night because you are constantly thinking through things. Some of us are second guessers. Some of us have problems with projecting onto others. Some of us create false narratives in our head and we believe it to be true. How y'all doing? And what psychology may classify as a complex, right? Like social anxiety, right? Some of us, we come to church, but it's really difficult for us, right? Because of this reality of social anxiety, right? A lot of people know me to be an extrovert, but when I go into crowded spaces with groups of people that I don't know and they all know each other, I, w I get socially awkward and I'm all up in my head. And many of you think, what? You're a talker. You could just go. And I get so caught up in my head. Anybody like that? And so what psychology classifies as a complex or a syndrome, anybody ever deal with imposter syndrome? Everyone, anyone ever walked into a place and feel like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm, I, I just not, I'm not this person. I'm not like them. Some of you experienced that in church. The Bible teaches what psychology may classify as a complex or a syndrome. The Bible teaches what's underneath all of that. The Bible teaches us that it's all the result of alienation. Y'all with me? It's all the result of, I, I, I'm saying, I'm not saying actually, don't see a therapist. I'm not saying that, okay? But what I am saying is that underneath it all is sin has disconnected us from ourselves. The moment sin came in, sin has disconnected us from ourselves. And you can I also tell you, it's not just a psychological thing. It's a biological thing. Sin has disconnected us. Sin has caused doubts, confusion. This is why in Genesis 3, 7, we're told that when the first humans sinned, the Bible says that their eyes were opened. They immediately realized they were naked and they clothed themselves. Right, because they were in shame, which is really crazy because in Genesis 2, it says they were naked and unashamed. And so we don't see shame entering into the world until sin. And so we see that sin brings an alienation from ourselves. How are you doing? Number two, we are not just alienated from ourselves, but we're also alienated from each other. It's not very hard to prove this. We experience breakups, betrayals, letdowns. 
we deal with issues that result from rejection and abandonment. Anybody have some rejection things? I do, right? It really holds you back. How about from a divorce that destroys a marriage and devastates the children? A lot of times we think it destroys the marriage, but it devastates the kids. From a divorce that destroys a marriage and devastates the kids to family members who were once really close, now they don't talk anymore. You with me? Alienation from others is obvious. And I think one of the greatest evidences of humanity's alienation is the fact that we have borders. Now, some of you are like, oh, is he getting political? No, no, just the very fact that we have security, the very fact that we have military, right? The, the, the very fact that we have weapons, weapons of mass destruction, and we have world wars suggests that mankind is alienated from each other. The very fact that you lock your door at night, the very fact that there's certain parts of the city that you won't go to. Are you with me? Suggests that there is not just alienation from ourselves, but alienation from one another. There is hostility. There is division. There is separation. Are you with me? And listen to what James, Jesus' brother said in James 4 verse 1 and 2. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. American historian Christopher Lash said, we are a culture of narcissism. And I think I agree with him. You know, I know we're quick to call extreme narcissism, narcissism, and I would agree. There are some extreme narcissistic folks out there. But I would say that all of us, our culture, our society, we are self-first people. We are self-centered, self-absorbed, selfish so that we can't help but alienate others in our pursuit of self-interest. This is why Adam threw his wife under the bus when he sinned, right? So not only when, sin, not only when, when mankind sin, do they, do they experience this alienation from themselves and shame and all of a sudden all this internal world starts to get disheveled, but then they start, Adam starts, Adam's all of us. He starts justify, self-justifying, right? He starts blame shifting. Don't look at me, God. It's the woman that you gave me. It's in the text. Sin has disconnected us from ourselves and it has disconnected us from others. Finally, we are, we are alienated from creation. We are alienated from the creation itself, right? So we experience thorns and thistles, <laughs> splinters and slivers, right? The next time you get a splinter, but man, that's, that's alienation. <laughs> right? We, we experience tsunamis, hurricanes, and earthquakes. Don't we, California? Right? How about this? From the weeds that frustrate our gardens to the natural disasters that cause catastrophic damage and high death tolls, the Bible says all of creation is groaning in labor-like pains as a result of being cut off, disconnected, and alienated. Y'all with me? And so you may not agree with it, but the scripture gives us an apologetic as to why evil and suffering exists. Right? It's because of sin and the alienation from God. And here's what's really fascinating. The question is not, does alienation exist? Like, you don't have to be a Christian in this room. You don't have to believe in God to agree that there is something wrong with this world. Right? Like, take your unbelieving friend. Take your friend that doesn't think there's a God. Take your atheist friend. Take your friend that is anti-Bible out. And I guarantee you for the most part that if you were to ask them, they would agree that this world is not what it should be. At the very least, they would agree that things are not what they should be. The question isn't, are things wrong? The real question is, how are things going to be made right? The question isn't, is there things wrong? The question is, how are things going to be made right? And so can I say this, 
all of the world, whether they're religious or not, are looking for salvation. So this is an apologetic right here. If you want to just think through, like, how do I teach the, how do I talk through the gospel with my unbelieving friends? They can agree with you that something is wrong with this world and that it needs to be fixed. In other words, this world needs what? Some sort of salvation. What they will disagree with and what you will fight for and debate over and what we get into these conversations about is how. We're all looking for salvation. The problem is, are you ready for this, Christian? We depend on substitute saviors, don't we? What do I mean by that? Like we experience these alienations and we, we turn to therapists and therapy. We turn to politics and policy. Amen. Some of you have made politics idolatry. Because you think that there is a Messiah that is going to correct the wrongs. And so we place our salvific desire in these men and women running for office. Now, it's okay to vote, and it's okay to discuss, and it's okay to land in a space. But when that becomes an opportunity to hurt, to harm, to, to destroy, to overlook the image of God. You, do you understand? Or when it becomes an idol is when all of a sudden these things become sub, substitute savers. We look to scientists and science. How about this? We run to sex. I didn't think he was going to be, I heard, yeah, 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 another one, this one, this one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny, someone you're sitting next to is like, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> we run to sex, we run to alcohol. Come on, Christian. Many of you abuse your freedom. You do. And just because you're in a church that's like, oh, you know, it's, there's freedom here, it, there's intoxication and abuse. And it becomes a substitute. How about this? Various forms of self-medication, right? And, you know, a lot of times we think of illegal drugs, but what about the stuff that's, that's legal or prescribed? Now, can I say this? I don't want to flush the baby out with the bathwater, but I do want to say because of our alienations, right, we tend to run to things, depend on things, and look to things to become substitute saviors, And here's what ends up happening. In doing these things, we only end up becoming more cut off and more disconnected. Anybody with me? We look to work to provide a better life. And we end up enslaved to workaholism. Y'all see that? So, so work, we look to, we, so the better life is heaven and work is the savior. Because work is going to get me to heaven. All it does is enslave us. This is what we call idols in Christianity. The things that you look that are not to, the things that you look to, to save you that are not Jesus will ultimately enslave you. You guys with me? How about this? We look to relationships thinking they'll complete us. And we end up entangled in codependency and toxicity. Anybody with me on that? We look to money. We look to status. We look to material wealth to validate us and make us feel a sense of worth. And we end up in debt, <laughs> stressed out, and enslaved to a mortgage. Or we become escape artists. Hey, where are my escape artists at? Digital distraction. Right? Our phones, our screens, our Netflix. And for those of us that have money, our vacations. Right? We travel. We look to vacations to bring us rest. While ignoring Christ, who says, come to me. And I will give you rest. Right? And so we've actually turned vacation into salvation. Is it wrong to vacation? No. Is it wrong to have a house? No. I'm not telling you sell your car, sell your house, never go to vacation again. I'm just saying these things in the place of Christ will never fulfill you. They'll only enslave you. We're doing okay? 
And though these substitute saviors and, 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 and pseudo remedies may provide some temporary relief, the Bible teaches that all creation is in a state of unresolved conflict with God. And the only, only, and the only way to deal with the lesser alienations is to deal with the ultimate alienation. And that's your alienation with God. Until you deal with your estrangement with your creator, all other alienations will continue to be just forms of enslavement. The only way to deal with the lesser alienations is to deal with the ultimate alienation with God. So you ready? Only reconciliation with God can heal our minds, restore our relationships, and renew all creation. I'm gonna say that again. Only reconciliation with God can heal our minds, restore our relationships, and ultimately renew all of creation. Can I say this? I wanna to talk to the Christian in the, play, in the house. Some of us are trying to remedy the lesser alienations and running from what God wants to do in your heart. You with me? Super quiet today. And I made it, today I said, I'm not gonna yell. Just cause I don't want my, you know what I mean? So like, so maybe you guys are just matching my vibe. I appreciate that. A lot of us are putting band-aids on cancer. You have to deal, you have to deal with the heart. Maybe we'll talk about that one this week. <laughs> Only reconciliation with God can heal our minds, restore our relationships, and ultimately renew all of creation. Some of you are probably wondering, when is he going to get to the text? That was my introduction. <laughs> Turn with me. <laughs> I promise you we're, we're, we're almost, we're getting there. We're getting there. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Um, I just decided to hide the text a little further away today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will also be the text that we kind of sit in circles this week and discuss. So if you want to save it um, and prepare yourself um, to sit in circles, this will be the text. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. With alienation in mind, we move to the only remedy is reconciliation with God. Amen? Y'all doing okay? Okay. The scripture reads like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on, just celebrate that. Amen. I was telling the team out there today, I had an old creation moment. But then the Lord reminded me, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're a new creature in me. And I had to like quickly turn things around. You know what I mean? <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that beautiful? Somebody put that on a shirt. Verse 18. All this is from God, who what? Through Christ reconciled us to himself. So how do we become a new creature? Through Christ. Who, what has Christ done? Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave to us. He's reconciled us to God. And what did he do? Christ not only reconciled us, but then he gave to us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Somebody say hallelujah. Any sinners in here? Are there any sinners in this room? Because you should be really excited about that particular portion of the text. Not counting their trespasses against them. Now watch this. And entrusting to us what? The message of reconciliation. So not only have we been reconciled, but then Christ has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Everyone in this room, you've not only been reconciled, but you have a responsibility to carry the message of reconciliation. I'm preaching this and I'm not even at my points. Verse 20, therefore, what does that mean? We are what? Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That is powerful. We are his mouthpiece. 
And what is this appeal? Look at we implore you on the behalf of Christ. Ready? Here's the appeal. Be reconciled to God. Mm. That is God's appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm gonna say that again. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin. This is powerful. How did God put an end to alienation and sin? How did God put an end to alienation and sin? Well, the scripture says this in verse 18, that he reconciled us through Christ. Can I teach? He reconciled us through Christ. What does that mean to be reconciled through Christ? Well, elsewhere in the scriptures, in Colossians chapter one, verse 20, it tells us that all things were reconciled to himself, ready? By the blood of the cross. So how were we reconciled through Christ? Here it is. He reconciled us to God by the blood of the cross. Are you with me? Then if you continue to read Colossians 1.21, it describes this activity taking place in further detail. It says, in his body of flesh, by his death. So how were people who are far from God made close? Through Christ. Through Christ's death. Through Christ's cross, through Christ's blood. And so I just want to share with you three illustrations of reconciliation. And then I'm going to do something like real loud and then we'll, 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 we'll finish. Three illustrations so we can understand reconciliation. Number one, reconciliation carries with it some accounting implications. Any accountants or people that work in finance in any way? Yes, you could probably explain this better than me. In fact, you know, let me know at the end of this if I got this right. But here's the thing about, to reconcile an account is to compare two sets of records to, to ensure accuracy, right? To make sure that there's no fraud. And on the cross, our sins were nailed. Are you with me? Our accounts we're balanced. Our debt was paid. And on the cross, we were reconciled back to God through Christ. In fact, if you read verse 19 of this chapter, it tells us that because of Christ's cross, he did not what? Count our trespasses against us. You see that? And so sin was not credited to your account, though you are a sinner, because of the cross. Are you with me? Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That means our work has earned us a wage. We have earned what? A death debt. But then Romans 6, 6 continues, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That means our faith credits to our account righteousness. That when we put our faith in Christ, that faith deposits into our account righteousness. So that even though we are broke and we are sinners and we are debt, that faith clears the debt and fills our account with righteousness, with the currency and the money that God sees for us to be whole and holy before him. Are you with me? Number two, reconciliation also carries with it judicial implications. And it was uh, Tim Keller who gave a really great illustration. And sometimes I want to give illustrations and I see someone else who gave them like, that's a better illustration. Let's just go with that one. Um, but I'm not going to pretend like I made it up. Um, imagine a woman who is a just judge. She's a good judge. She's a just judge. And she has a record to prove that she is good and she is just. She doesn't just say it, but her record proves it. Now imagine this woman had a son who committed murder, cold-blooded murder. 
And imagine her son has no remorse, no guilt, no shame. And imagine if her son came to her house running from the law. And imagine if she, he stepped into the house and he said, Mom, I need you to cover for me. I need you to hide me. Now imagine what that mom would feel as a mother. You want to see, as a father, we all want to see our children do right. We all want to see our children succeed. And for the most part, we are all willing to do anything to make sure that that happens. Am I right? But this mother is a just, credible judge. This mother believes in the law lives by the law, administers by the law. So though she loves, it would be a violation of her character, her credibility, and her integrity to acquit her son. Are you with me? No matter how much she loves her son, she cannot allow him, nor can she aid him in breaking the law. And yet we're told in verses 521 that on the cross, an exchange was made. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of Christ. Are you with me? And so on that cross, there was an exchange. Jesus who knew no sin was made to be sin. So that we can have his righteousness. He became the guilty party. And we became the innocent party on the cross. You see the exchange there? Are you with me? Why, why did he do this? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians 5.10. It's because one day we're all going to appear before the judgment seat. We're going to appear before Christ. And there's going to be judgment. There's going to be justice. Because he is a just judge. And people are going to receive their punishment and their reward. And those of us who are in Christ, those of us who put our faith in Christ, and by putting that faith in him, we received righteousness accredited to our account. We will be declared in the court of heaven not guilty. Are you, are you with me? I love the genius of God because in Christ, he made a way, right, to forgive us and a way for sin to go punish, right? He made a way in Christ for sin to be dealt with. He made a way in Christ for sin not to go unpunished. And so he retains his credibility as just. He made a way. He made a way for us to be forgiven. He made a way for sin not to go unpunished while also making a way to maintain his holiness, his integrity, his righteousness. And so on the cross, he punishes sin, allowing him to be just. But because of the cross and because of the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith, he forgives us. He no longer condemns us. And we stand before him holy, obedient. Y'all doing okay? We're almost finished. Reconciliation also carries with it relational implications. We've talked about this. We hated God. We wanted nothing to do with him. Some of you are like, no, no, no. I didn't hate God. You, you don't, you say you love God, but the God that reveals in his word, you, you despise this. You rebel, you rebel against this, right? We have a lot of folks who don't understand, right? And they think, no, I, I love God. But if you love him, then you would love his word because his word is an extension of him. And so just by nature of rebelling against this, we hated God. We hated God. We wanted nothing to do with him. In our rebellion, we betrayed him, didn't we? We ignored him. We avoided him. We repelled him. From our, from our presence. We, we, re, we were repelled from his presence like a, like a stench. And yet, in Christ, God put an end to the alienation. He put an end to the enmity, animosity, hostility, division brought on by sin. In Christ, though we wanted nothing to do with him, he passionately pursued us. Isn't that powerful? You get that? You didn't want anything to do with him. 
but he pursued you. The fact that you're in this room right now, he's pursuing you. Even if you walk out of here and want nothing to do with him. Isn't that beautiful? You're, you're, you're an enemy, and yet he continues to pursue you. He's made a way through his son, the blood of Christ, nailed to the, are you with me? And he's done this. He's reconciled, back to, reconciled us back to himself. And now we are no longer enemies, but we're called friends of God. I'm going to have the team come forward. People will always try in their own strength, won't we, to save ourselves. Come on. We're Christians. We're doing it all the time. People will always try in our own strength to save ourselves in our own wisdom to deal with the alienations of this world. We'll turn to substitute saviors. We'll look to pseudo remedies. And in our hostility, we'll put up walls against God. But only in Christ has every alienation been dealt with. And in Christ, we receive the ultimate exchange. An ultimate exchange. Do you guys know on the cross, Jesus was spat on? He was mocked. He was stripped naked so that we could be loved and accepted and honored. You know, on the cross, he took shame. He was shamed on the cross. He took our shame. Here's the exchange so that we could have his honor. We are supremely honored because of Christ on the cross, though we deserve supreme shame. On the cross, do you know Jesus was rejected? Do you know he was abandoned by his close friends? You know Judas, one of the 12, betrayed him? And he did that so we could be forgiven, so we could be accepted, so that we can be loved. On the cross, Christ was punished so that we could be rewarded. On the cross, Christ was condemned so that we could be acquitted. On the cross, Christ endured God's wrath so we could have God's favor. Are y'all with me? On the cross, Christ became poor so that we can become exceedingly rich beyond imagination. On the cross, Christ endured hell so that we can have heaven. On the cross, Christ died and was buried so that we could rise and live forever. On the cross, Christ the Son was forsaken by God the Father so that we could be made sons and daughters and so that we could be accepted by the Father so we could be in the presence of God forever. On the cross, every alienation was nailed to the tree. On the cross, Christ has reconciled us back to ourselves so that insecurity, that fear, that worry, that anxiety, that inadequacy, the doubt, the syndromes, the complexes, all of these things have been nailed to that tree. See, on the cross, Christ has reconciled us back to ourselves. And on the cross, Christ has reconciled us back to each other. We're new creatures. Yeah, we get a little old creaturely sometimes, right? Maybe it's just me. I turn into that beast sometimes. And Christ's like, you're a new creature. You're a new creature. And so we extend forgiveness, mm, though we've been betrayed. We extend acceptance, though we've been rejected. We extend love and compassion, though we may not receive it. And you know, it's going to hurt sometimes to do that. But Christ suffered for us to be accepted. And so we extend that. We know how to extend it because we've, it's first been extended to us. Now, don't expect someone else to do it because they don't know Christ. They don't know the beauty of Christ. And so, yeah, it's easy to get flesh. Well, wait a minute, they're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But they don't know the love of Christ. But you have. You know what it's like to be a, a sinner, to be a rebel. <laughs> Mom, dad, you know what it's like to be a rebellious son, even though your son is rebellious. You know what it's like because that's what you were. Hmm. On the cross, every alienation was nailed to that tree. On the cross, Christ reconciled us back to ourselves. On the cross, Christ reconciled us back to each other. On the cross, Christ has inaugurated a new creation. 
and has demolished in the flesh all walls of separation that has kept us from God. So that even creation is groaning right now and waiting, even though it's frustrated, it's anticipating that what Christ has done, like a new creation is coming. Y'all with me? And so I just wanna finish with the words of Jesus. Now I wanna pray. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not the kind of peace that this world gives do I give. And so there are a lot of peace, you're chasing peace. And Christ says, no, 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 no. The peace that you need the most is peace with God. And that's the peace that Christ has given to you freely on the cross. Will you receive that? Will you believe that? And will you allow that truth to influence your life? Will you allow it to transform everything you say, everything you do for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ? And so before we pray, can we just take a moment to process reconciliation? And can you allow the Holy Spirit just to move in your heart as we honor and glorify Christ? I wanna, I wanna speak to somebody in this room. And I realize when I say this, I'm gonna, several people are like, well, that's not me, but will you just kind of pray with me? Who, you're angry, you're angry with God. I like there's a wall, there's hostility, there's anger with God. And you're angry with God because you don't understand what he's done for you. you. You've created a narrative in your head that's not true. You're angry with God because you have felt the effects of alienation. You've been harmed. You have been hurt. You have been abandoned. You have been betrayed. The consequences of sin has hurt and harmed you. And your entire life, you have not allowed God close because you have mistakenly blamed him for those things. But I want you to know that the Bible teaches this is what he's done. He's actually done everything to remove that hostility. That he knows that you've been betrayed and that he knows that you've been abandoned, that he knows that you've been rejected. In fact, he knows so well that he's experienced it himself. He's put on flesh, he's stepped down low and he's, ex he's come right beside you and has experienced all that you've experienced, all the pain, all the rejection. He's not the one that did it, but he experienced it. He's come right next to you. And then he was nailed to the cross. And he bled to rip apart the wickedness and sin that he hates and despises. God hates the very thing that destroys, demolishes, decays his, his creation. And so I really think that instead of hating God, I really pray that, and this is only something the Holy Spirit, my words can't do this, but I really pray, I really pray that you'd begin to love him and see him for who yeah. he really is. That he is the God who is doing something about it. He is a God who has done something about it. And that there's no need for you to put walls up, to put defenses up. And to have hostility towards him. Because he has pursued you passionately. He has suffered alongside you and yeah. with you. And yeah. he, has bled, he has nailed every pain, every betrayal, every rejection. He has nailed it to the cross. Jesus. 
And so would you stop resisting? And would you allow him to speak to your heart? And what happens is once that alienation, once that wall comes down, all the other pains that you're running from, all the other pains that you're medicating from, all the other pain, once that wall is restored, once that wall goes down and you and Christ and God, you're reconciled, all these other betrayals and abandonments and other things, all of a sudden in Christ, he begins to make you new. That's 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 what it's about. And so Heavenly Father, I just, I take this moment to pray for the one in this room who admittedly is angry with you. And I pray that the narrative that they've created in their mind based on life's terrible experiences, Holy Spirit, that the word of God would slowly begin to challenge the lies that have kept this individual from truly receiving the grace and the love and the beauty and the healing of Christ Jesus. I pray we'd be a church that would not just receive reconciliation, but we would be a church that that moves in the ministry of reconciliation. That we wouldn't just receive this beautiful news, but we would be a church that declares this news to a world that is in pain. And may we continue to be a church in Union City and beyond in the Bay Area to be a reconciling church declaring to everyone be reconciled to God that there is something that has been done on their behalf to make all things new and for that God we are careful to worship you and honor you and praise you you deserve the highest praise you deserve the highest honor you deserve the ultimate glory we lay our lives down because we are so in awe of you thank you for christ jesus who in his flesh reconciled us brought us together made us new and may we live in that truth everywhere we go as a form of worship and we pray these things in christ's name Amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we love Jesus? Go out today. Be a ministry of reconciliation to others. Come out this week. Let's sit in circles and cry together, laugh together, and glorify God. We love you all. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.